What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. It's the Apple Bits XL. Brian Tong here, your host, doing the most for everything good and bad inside the world of Apple. We got a great show today because we're going to have an interview with a previous caller, Doc Nock, Amir Nakvi. We're going to talk about the Apple Watch and how it's really impacting and changing the health industry or changing the minds of how it's perceived. We're going to get into that. I was first going to just jump into the interview, but we have a whole lot of stories that are relevant and important that I wanted to add in before that, so we'll do that. But also, thank you for supporting the show. You know, if you support it, patreon.com slash Tong is where to go. It starts at $2 per month, $5, dollars $100 at the platinum level. Early access to all my content, exclusive bonus kind of giveaways, and then the biggest thing, a completely ad-free version of this show that you won't hear the stuff that I'm telling you right now. Also, you know, I'm completely independent and uh, allows me to continue to do this. So check it out, patreon.com slash Brian Tong. Also, the way to be a part of the show, record a voice memo using applebitsshow at gmail.com. That's applebits with a Z. Your name, where you're from, your comments, your questions, your suggestions, your corrections, your good apples, your bad apples. I want to hear all that. It always just really adds so much to the show. So let's get into it. This is episode 108. To be honest with you, I was out of town the past two and a half days over in San Francisco covering something that you will see uh, pretty soon. I can't tell you exactly what it is, but if you're following the tech world and if you know something's going to get announced next week, you could probably put two and two together. But we're going to talk Apple stuff, and let's just jump right into it. This week, Apple released the new iOS and iPadOS 13.4 beta, and it revealed a whole lot of goodies. So I'm going to kind of go down the list of the things that'll kind of be important to you, some of the tweaks that maybe you'll use more often. There's obviously so many little things that maybe may not make as big of an impact, but the first one, iCloud sharing. So just kind of like Dropbox and whatnot, it was announced as one of the new features in iOS 13, but it wasn't implemented initially. So iOS 13.4 is showing that iCloud folder sharing is now available, allowing you to share folders within the file apps with other people. So this is clearly an ecosystem play. We got some new Memojis. That's where you put that cartoon face that you added. There's stuff like blowing a uh, birthday celebration. What is that thing that you put in your mouth? It's not a kazoo. <laughs> I don't know. Is it a birthday streamer? You know what I mean. There's ones like with your your mouth wide, gaping wide open with your hands on your cheek. There's an eye roll. There's like the angry bulls smoke coming out of your nose. There's one with your peeking out over um, a MacBook or MacBook Air or MacBook Pro. Anyways, there are new Memoji stickers featuring yourself in 13.4, iOS 13.4, nine in total. So just just get ready. Also, uh, new functionality for developers to bundle their iOS apps, the universal Mac OS, iOS, and tvOS purchases. So if they have apps that are available on the multiple platforms, it's all bundled in one. The biggest thing, though, car key. Uh, and it's in quotes because a new feature in iOS 13 will bring in built-in support if you have CarPlay 
right? If your car is compatible with CarPlay for unlocking, driving, and even sharing NFC car keys. Now, I'm not saying that this is going to turn your car into a Tesla, but according to the system's internal files that 9to5Mac dug deep into, you'll be able to use car key in NFC compatible cars. Now, this is the reason why this is important is Apple for the longest time had blocked developers, third-party developers, access to the NFC API. And where this came in handy is I went and covered the Hyundai or Hyundai Sonata. And what they said is like, hey, we have an app with Android that allows you to use your Android phone as a key to unlock it, to talk to it, to do a lot of things. And it uses NFC. Well, I said, hey, what about the iOS apps? And they said, well, that's in development. It's up to Apple to unlock this. So what we're seeing now in, and when I mean unlock is give them access to the NFC API, which I believe was only used really for, uh, as part of Apple Pay. So now if you have an NFC compatible car, Apple is unlocking this. So this is going to allow a lot of third-party cars that have this capability to be able to use your Apple iPhone as a wireless car key. You can share that car key with other family members. So how, how does that come in handy? Let's say my niece wants to get access to my mom's car, and but my mom doesn't want her to be able to drive it because, <laughs> yeah, that's a no-no. She's too young. You'll be able to, Jenea or Calissa will be able to walk up to my mom's car, get in the car and use their phone as a key, and then just hang out in it. So the pairing process is expected to be done through the wallet app, and obviously it'll be necessary to have the car's manufacturer's app go through that setup, place the iPhone on top of the NFC reader in the car during the initial process to basically pair it, and then car key will be available in the wallet app. After that, then the key can be added to the Apple Watch as well. So your Apple Watch could also be your car key. Really, really cool stuff. This is just in an iOS 13.4 update. This is the beta. It's not available just yet, but it's there. Some other stuff, little things here and there, keyboard shortcuts on iPad, um, so you can do stuff in the Photos app for navigating between tabs, search and create albums, it's little things like that. There's a Shazam shortcuts action. So in that app, the shortcuts app, there's an option to Shazam it. So this this kind of adds more customizability and capability if you like to play in the shortcuts app. Really cool stuff. So those are some of the things from 13.4. But again, the biggest thing, car key. One word, capital C-A-R, capital K-E-Y. This is exciting for a lot of people with more modern cars that have that capability. And yeah, fine, you can't get a Tesla, but you can get car key. Fine. I know that that actually might have made you more sad than anything else. Also, in addition to just the car key app, inside the tvOS 13.4 beta code, appears to reveal that Apple TV 4K hardware is closer to being launched. That's kind of exciting. The code reveals, according to 9to5Mac again, that a new Apple TV, internally with the code name T1125, was found. 
Right now, the current Apple TV 4K is named, it starts with the letter J. So starting with the letter T suggests that this is an internal model, maybe a prototype that hasn't been completely finished, but it does indicate that this is a new model found in the internal files of tvOS 13.4. The hardware, we, they, don't, they don't know the exact hardware, but expect to be using the same A12 and maybe possibly A13 Bionic chips. The current gen Apple TV is using an A10 Fusion that does support 4K HDR. I highly doubt it's going to support 8K. It just isn't, but it'd be a little more beefed up. I think the main advantage of this is that with Apple Arcade getting a faster processor, you'll be able to have that. Also, there has been some rumors that there might be HDMI 2.1 support with a new Apple TV 4K. They're just waiting it out. We'll see as it gets closer, if that's going to happen. My hunch is that no matter what, if we see some sort of Apple TV, I don't know if we'll see it in this kind of Marchish springtime period. I'm not sure if we'll see it then. Typically, we've seen Apple TV stuff a little later, but we will see. Just stuff to think about. And then I think in a story that could be a shift from an Apple CPU standpoint, a big Mac OS leak hints at a future switch, maybe to AMD chips. Maybe it's a potential transition over to completely going ARM, which is still still a ways away. But could Apple be preparing to make this switch? References to a number of new AMD <laughs> chips have been spotted in the latest Mac OS 10.15.4 beta that came out to developers this week on Wednesday. Maybe pointing at Apple's lengthy relationship with Intel being in like a iffy spot. Now, Intel and Apple, remember before there were the power PC chips, and this was huge, huge deal finally when they announced it. It was uh, back in 2005. So we've heard so much about Apple one day transitioning over to ARM chips. We know how successful they've been with their iPhones. There's been benchmark tests that have shown that some of the latest armed uh, A13 chips that are found in your iPhone or iPad are basically on the same par as a MacBook. Not a MacBook Pro yet, but starting to get really close even to an entry-level MacBook Pro. So these are CPU-intensive machines that are mobile devices. And so the thing is, hey, maybe we'll see one on a future MacBook Air. So one Mac user underscore Row game like R O G A M. You got to give him or her props. Uncovered a bunch of references to AMD chips. There are mentions of Navi, that's their GPU architecture, as well as Picasso, Raven, Renoir, Renoir, and Van Gogh. So we know that Apple already uses some of AMD's GPUs in their machines. Obviously, the Mac Pro is one of them. So it's not a big surprise that we might be seeing AMD GPU references, but Code names for other AMD actual processors, packages that combine both CPU and GPU. This would be the first time we've seen this, right? An integrated chip, both CPU and GPU. So just Apple could be preparing to use AMD chips in at least maybe one future Mac. And you wouldn't put an AMD CPU in there just because, again, this is this has not been found ever before in the code so maybe we see one and and the thinking is that okay well why would they possibly want to ditch intel 
Intel chips typically have been more expensive, power hungry. We even saw issues with how hot they get inside the MacBook Pros, which is one of the things that really affected last year's generation of the MacBook Pro. Apple created a whole new cooling system, which whether they use Intel chips or others moving forward, um, they still re-engineered the cooling system to make it more optimal. And it, it has shown that the performance has kicked up a notch. But remember, they had to throttle some of the Intel chips last year because of how hot they were getting. So also, you know, Apple wants to control. We've seen how Apple slowly but surely has continued to become a, they're owning their own proprietary chips within their CPUs, within their phones, within their mobile devices. And it's just going to be an eventuality that they do this. So if maybe Intel is not so happy about that movement, they've got to find something in between a transition. Who knows? This is all speculation. But I think it is fascinating the fact that they could be planning to use AMD chips. Why would it show up in the code? Maybe they're just testing something for fun. Yeah, if they're testing something, it means that they're probably looking to do it. Also, a watch story. This surprised me. So watch out. Apple shipped an estimated 30.7 million Apple Watches in 2019. This is according to Strategy Analytics. Fine. That sounds like a whole whole boatload of Apple Watches. But according to the report, that beat the entire Swiss watch industry. Compared to what the Apple Watch did, and that was the 30.7 million units worldwide in 2019 was up 36% from the estimated 22.5 million units shipped in 2018. And you know, you've heard me talk about how exciting the Apple Watch is, how I love it, and how it's just getting started, and there's so much more room to grow. 36% jump up estimations, right? Apple doesn't give us their official numbers, but these are estimations based on what uh, companies that analyze this stuff can see. Comparatively, so we have 30.7 million units. Comparatively, the Swiss watch industry, this is including all Swiss, Swiss watch brands, estimated have shipped a total of 21.1 million units worldwide in 2019, dropping 13% from the 24.2 they shipped in 2018. Apple is the leader in the smartwatch market. There's still space for other competitors to take a slice of that, but they're dominating this. The fact, though, is that there's still so much more room to grow. I, I can't remember what the report was, but I believe, let's see if I can check. I, I think it's somewhere that the, the user base itself of Apple products, most people, you see a lot of Apple watches, but... Is it is it around even maybe only like 25% of Apple's user base has an Apple Watch? It might be even less than that. So fine, they beat the entire Swiss watch industry. That's great. Now above Avalon is a website that does Apple analysis specifically. And they also put this into perspective just from dollars. The Apple Watch is bringing $12 billion of revenue per year. And that total is growing by roughly 30% per year. So right now, there are 65 million people wearing an Apple Watch. This is just, right, this is this is just getting warm. The Apple Watch Series 3 right now is the top-selling Apple Watch because it's it's taken what? Basically, I would say roughly 
four or five years for people to jump on board. And then right now they're only buying the Apple Watch that's around $200 because obviously they don't have to buy the, you know, the newest thing. Apple has sold more than 90 million Apple Watches to date. So again, roughly 30 million were sold in the calendar year of 2019. So with the average selling price of more than $400, the Apple Watch is bringing 12 billion of revenue per year. Now, if you want to put that in perspective, in 2019, YouTube's revenue, YouTube, the website, the largest video website in the world, from what I gather, pretty sure it is. Someone can correct me. If I'm totally wrong, fine. But in 2019, YouTube's revenue, 15 billion. So a single product, the Apple freaking watch, which is still not even compl- uh, you know, on the status of an iPhone or AirPods, is at 12 billion in 2019 and is expected to grow 30% more next year while YouTube is at 15 billion. We're talking about revenue. That just shows me how, just gives you an idea of how big it is. That's pretty amazing. So the guesstimate would be that Apple Watch install base will surpass 100 million people in 2021. I don't know the numbers, but I'm curious how many iPhones have been sold that are currently compatible with the Apple Watch Series 3 and higher. I've got to imagine it's a lot, and I've got to imagine that number of that 65 million uh, user base is actually pretty low compared to that large piece of the pie that they're trying to target. That's that's pretty amazing. So I'm going to jump into it and get right to it. This is our interview. I think it's it's a good chunk of time. There's a lot of kind of setting the table of the latest Apple Heart study to kind of give us a foundation of everything we need to know, and then we can start like digging into it more. So just stick with it. It's a lot of really good information. And then we just get to talking about the future of the Apple Watch and just the health industry and how it sees it. I learned a lot. I hope you learned something from this. And also uh, the big thing is I learned the difference between EKG and ECG from a professional, Amir Nakvi, Chief Cardiology Fellow at Ascension Providence Hospital. But before we get to that, just want to remind you, all my content here is completely independent. I'd love your support at patreon.com slash Brian Tong. You can start at $2.5102500 at the platinum level, a lot of different bonuses, early access content, and then a completely ad-free version of my podcast. But this really supports everything I do. I still do need your help to support this to keep it rolling, but I thank you for all that support and uh just blessed to be able to continue to bring you this great content and just have fun doing it. So if I'm worth $2 or even a cup of coffee, $5 a month, jump on over to patreon.com slash Brian Tong and I appreciate it all. What's up, everybody? You know how we do it. Look, um, I'd like to say dreams do come true. I, I'm not I'm not blowing this up too big, but last week we had our man Amir call in. You might recognize the name Doc Knock, which I love. Amir Nakvi called into the show and offered some insight about the future of the Apple Watch and its potential SPO2 measuring. And then he used all these like, big words and i'm uh, and i thought to myself i need to bring this guy in he says a lot of big words so amir doc knock in the house welcome to the apple bits xl baby thank you so much brian it's really honestly an honor a privilege to be here i kind of surreal for me but uh (laughs) 
I am just so happy that I can, you know, provide some insight, you know, and hopefully maybe break down those big words into smaller ones or (laughs) (laughs) maybe make some sense uh, of what maybe what I was trying to say in a quick uh, minute and a half call. Yeah, man. Um, I really appreciate you making the time to come on out here. Um, so thankful. And it's just kind of a testament to, you know, the community at whole, everyone does have different niches of expertise. And when that can be useful to our audience, I want to bring that in, I want to elevate it. And so thanks again for coming on, man. I, I just really appreciate your time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, if I could just give like a quick uh, background, yeah, uh, yeah, for sure, for, for the for the community. So, uh, as he mentioned, my name is Dr. Amir Nakvi. Um, I I'm happy to go by Doc Nak too, uh, <laughs> but um, I am currently a third year cardiology fellow, finishing up my uh, training. Uh, I like to say year ten of ten uh, since med school, not including undergrad. It's a long road. Um, and I'm at, uh, Central Providence hospital in, uh, the Detroit area and we're affiliated with Michigan state university. Uh, next year in the summer, I'm going to be, or not next year, this coming summer, uh, I'm going to be, uh, joining practice, uh, in the Chicagoland area, um, at advocate Christ hospital. So super excited to, you know, get everything off the road, uh, off the ground. A um, couple other quick things I just want to mention. Uh, so in the medical world, we're really big on transparency. So uh, we always like to give our financial disclosures. Um, I don't have any. This is the only uh, uh, disclosures I have is that uh, my bias is number one, that I'm compared to the general physician community, slightly on the younger side, although, you know, some of the missing hairs on the top of my head uh, may not <laughs> may not look like it, but, uh, and then, um, the other thing, um, is that, you know, with that, I'm also a huge fan of tech. So just, those are really my only biases, but otherwise, you know, not paid by anyone. This is just my own opinions. The other thing also, you know, whatever I say is not going to be necessarily medical advice. So, uh, you know, I would definitely recommend, uh, if somebody has any issues or anything to, to seek out your physician, that's all. Also, also, Miro, what is said and done here on the show cannot be used against you in the court of law. Oh, that's good to know. So that's good I, to know. I wanted to also let you know that. So Thank Apple you. Bits Nation, yeah, yeah. Um, Amir in the house. So you know what? I brought you in because we really want to talk about the Apple Watch. And I first, though, before we jump into some of the medical stuff and your expertise, everyone that listens to this podcast and seen my stuff knows how much I love the Apple Watch, even though I didn't buy a Series 5 because it just didn't do enough for me from a 4, but mm-hmm. still... I'm the biggest fan. I'm the biggest stan of the Apple Watch. I'm curious for you, let's just say as a consumer, um, do you have an Apple Watch? Which one may do you have or or not? And what do you like about it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I do have an Apple Watch. I actually currently have a Series 2, which is the initial one I got. Um, I was enamored actually when uh, when the first Apple Watch first came out. Uh, but I did notice that I felt there were a couple shortcomings and I felt like by the time series two came out, they had dealt with a lot of those. Um, I was very tempted, um, actually when the ECG thing came out on the series four. Uh, but I felt like, you know what, this is only a couple years old. Um, you know, I, I know that they're going to be adding more and then series five, you know, uh, even as you said that you yourself didn't upgrade, was just not quite there. Uh, you know, I'm still not uh, balling at all. <laughs> I'm still in training, got a whole lot of med school debt. So, you know, we got to be a little more calculated about some of our purchases. So, um, 
so I think, um, you know, I'm, I'm very, very, um, optimistic about what we're going to see from series six. Um, and I think almost certainly I'll be due for an upgrade by then too. So that's nice. my plan. Is, yeah. what, what do you use it for the most personally? Um, you know, uh, it kind of varies to be honest. I think, um, the, the fitness stuff is probably in general the most, although most recently I've been kind of slacking a little bit about the gym, but, um, uh, <laughs> the admittedly, you know, um, but, um, you know, otherwise, you know, it's nice to have notifications. I, you kind of use it almost like a filter, you know, if I'm on rounds or, you know, I'm at work, um, it, rather than having to take my phone out all the time and, you know, for example, my daughter's daycare might send something or I'll get a notification from, you know, from some social media that doesn't come to my watch. I, I only mm-hmm. have usually text messages or, or, you know, something like that and increases the likelihood it's going to be something that I need to pay attention to. So. so on a scale, let's say if I have to give you a score of one to 10 personally, um, where would you rate the Apple Watch for you right now? Hmm. Um, that's a great question. Um, that's why I asked it. So, yeah, yeah, yeah of course. <laughs> just, you only ask great questions. Oh, yeah, right? only, only. Of course, yeah. I, uh, you know, I probably put around an eight. Mm-hmm, uh-huh. um, yeah, I think about an eight. Um, uh, I think um, if, uh, you know, if we start to see some of these other things that we're probably going to talk about shortly, um, it might move up a little bit from there. But, uh, yeah, I think eight's pretty pretty darn good. You know, I put that pretty high. I mean, I'll tell you one thing. Um I never like to leave the house without my Apple watch on. Um, and, uh, I actually unfortunately had a, an incident, uh, on vacation where it got stolen a couple of years ago and ended up having to, you know, I bought another one. It was, it was all, it's all good. You know, I mean, you, you've been there now with your oh, phone. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, but, um, my, since then my wife's kind of been like, you know, it's, it, 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 it kind of put a little bit of fear in her. So anytime we go on vacation, she's like, Oh, do you really want to take it? And I'm like, yes, it's, it's okay. It'll be fine. <laughs> I don't want to mess up my streak or whatever. You know? No, so. no, don't, don't do that. So, so <laughs> well, I'm um, careful. It's all yeah. Good. So, so Amir, let's try to transition over here to the Apple watch as a, as a health um, product, because Apple has been really pushing that, you know, Apple themselves. I've talked to some of the developers and engineers over there and I said, Man, the Apple Watch has changed so much from really Series 1 to Series 3. Once they revamped the OS, it started coming to life. And I said, Series 1 was nice, but it was pretty bare bones from a standpoint of a watch. And, you know, they kept on telling me, we do this deliberately. And we know that typically the second generation of Apple product is a lot better. They said they just left it wide open because they wanted to see how people use it. They didn't know if people really cared about health uh, measurement as much as they did. They didn't know how people were actually even navigating the OS. They just said, this is our first smartwatch. We're going to leave it a very blank canvas. We're not going to right out of the gate say, we're going to make this super fitness. Or they didn't go out of the gate and say, "Uh, we're going to make this just... A notification bracelet they just kept it as broad as possible right. yeah and now we've fashion, seen it yeah exactly right. fashion right mm-hmm. and now we've seen mm-hmm. it evolve so we talk about this as a health from a health standpoint and one of the things that you brought up to me when we were first talking about is about the apple uh is it called the apple heart study yes that's correct yeah. and so we heard about it and it sounded amazing with um what some of these hot was stanford the one that was running that study or was it multiple yeah, hospitals right so so it was actually basically uh, it's Apple sponsored. So Apple, you know, paid for the study and they actually own all the data, mm. uh, which we'll talk about. It's kind of interesting. Um, 
but then it was basically all the scientific analysis was done through Stanford. Um, and then, uh, you know, any study that's done, any clinical trial that's done has to be um, approved by uh, an investigational review board, an IRB. Um, and so that was, uh, they, they had uh, Stanford's IRB that uh, approved it. And actually, there was also an independent IRB that also, uh, you know, approved the study as well. So what made it unique? Because from a standpoint, is this is this a big deal that this study even happened? Or maybe tell me why why it was important? Yeah, absolutely. So I think, um, you know, before we get into that, I think it's important to understand a couple of just basics about what it was trying to uh, study. So uh, essentially, you know, the Apple Watch uh, has, as you said, been trying to be positioned as a health device. And one of the first things that they went after was uh, cardiac health and and more specifically, rhythm monitoring. So um, that's something that's been done in other devices. Um, in fact, uh, even, you know, um, like Orange Theory has their own mm-hmm. version where it uses a similar technology. Uh, and there's uh, quite a few other manufacturers out there. And it's using, uh, you know, the big word I use, uh, photoplethysmography, which yeah. uh, we can shorten we can shorten to PPG. Um, mm-hmm. I think that'll be easier. Yes. So it uses this PPG technology, which essentially is that light sensor that's on the back of the, the watch. And it shines a light to the skin. And it's able to uh, essentially measure... The, the changes in the the blood flow by uh, looking at the reflection of the um, the blood vessels wow. and it kind of breaks it into pulsatile and non pulsatile components so it can kind of get an idea from arteries versus veins and capillaries um, and then from that it builds a um, a tachygram is the name of it. Um, if you ever use your uh, Apple Watch and you click on the the heart uh, rate monitor, mm-hmm. it'll give you sort of a graph with all of these uh, little points on it that uh, represent the heart rates at different times. Um, so what this study did was it looked at, uh, okay, so we have these tachygrams. If we have a lot of irregularity in it, is that by chance... Uh, uh, an irregular heart rhythm, something called, like atrial fibrillation. Mm-hmm. So a little bit of background about atrial fibrillation. Uh, it is the most common irregular heart rhythm. It's not the only one. There are several other reasons people could have irregular heart rhythms. But um, this one is, uh, is by far and away the most common, actually about uh, close to 6 million people in the U.S. that are affected by it. Generally older adults, like uh, you know people more than 65, are the ones that are affected. Um, And, uh, you know, about uh, half or actually more than half are completely asymptomatic and uh, often may not uh, have any symptoms uh, or sorry, uh, if they do have symptoms, it's relatively vague. Things like just feeling tired or fatigued, maybe some shortness of breath. uh, And a lot of times people may just attribute it to aging or being out of shape. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's, it's felt that, you know, as many as 700,000 in the U.S. may have undiagnosed AFib. Um, And the other important thing about atrial fibrillation or AFib is that it really increases the risk of a stroke. So one in seven strokes are caused by AFib, and it increases the chance of a stroke by four to five times. Uh, And, you know, uh, for those who don't know, a a stroke is essentially a brain attack. So you can have a heart attack, which is a blockage in the artery that feeds the heart, and that causes part of the heart muscle to die. So this is the same idea, but it's for the brain. So people can have, I mean, it can be fatal, 
uh, but um, often you can also have you know, disability from it, you might be able to, you may lose your ability to walk or to write or to speak or to even be able to just find words. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it can be very debilitating besides obviously potentially being fatal. And atrial fibrillation strokes tend to be actually more debilitating than strokes from other causes. So it's a huge problem. And it's, mm. you know, um, it's something that, you know, Apple recognized that they potentially could play a role in. Um, the other quick thing I'll just mention is that, uh, the treatments we typically use to prevent strokes are, um, are blood thinners, uh, which basically prevents a clot from forming that would Mm -hmm. cause the stroke. Um, and then, uh, there's certain other medications we can use to control rhythm or rate, and there's some procedures we can use. So the first step of course would be identifying it. And then, uh, beyond that, we can do some kind of risk stratification. Um, so, the Apple Heart Study. Um, now, now that you have no, no, that was great. That, that was great, though. That that establishes okay. a base layer of what's going on. I really appreciate that, honestly. So okay, good. Keep, good, keep talking. Good. I'm actually here. If you hear me snoring, then you yeah, should yeah. <laughs> yeah, if I, yeah. If you're snoring, I know that uh, you know I've lost everybody. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, the Apple Heart Study. You know, having that background was was to try to tackle this this problem, but in a very pragmatic way. Uh, so the the goal was okay. Apple has created this algorithm by which they can assess these tachygrams or those plots of the the variability in the heart rate and they want to see uh so so um the the medical community when this first came out was kind of a little apprehensive that you know the medical community already has um relatively stretched thin very high rates of burnout you know uh suicide rates are actually double of mm. any other community unfortunately and it's because of a number of reasons uh but you know one of those is that this kind of overburdened extra paperwork not enough time with the patient um and um that this was a concern that that could add to that mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. and so they wanted to assess is this really the case are we having a lot of extra false, uh, notifications or, 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 um, you know, are we relatively in the ballpark when we're diagnosing the Mm -hmm. atrial fibrillation and then somewhat for safety and also to, uh, to establish a framework, because this is really the first time we have a study like this. Mm -hmm. Um, never before have we had a tech company on this scale get involved and, and actually have a, you know, scientific study, um, and collaboration with the medical community. Um, so um, this was a prospective single group, open label, sightless, pragmatic study, which is a lot of, you know, mumbo jumbo to basically say, <laughs> um, to basically say that it was, you know, Apple again, that was sponsoring it and, um, and uh, run through Stanford. Um, and the, the way that it worked was that, uh, people who had an Apple watch, of course, you need that as, as a, you know, entry uh, to get into the study. And, uh, with that, an Apple, uh, an iPhone that were over the age of 22 that were in the U S, um, were, um, basically able to get this app, which is how the whole study was conducted. And, uh, they would download the app and then, you know, read through all of the enrollment, uh, all the en- enrollment criteria. And if they met all those and did not have atrial fibrillation in the past or uh, were not on uh, blood thinners in the past, uh, then they could enroll into the study. Um, and then, uh, you know, what I think 
the most incredible thing was is the number of people that enrolled. So just to give a little bit of frame of reference, typically with a prospective study like this, meaning mm -hmm. uh, someone enrolls into a study and we monitor them going forward, uh, as opposed to just looking at data, old data, um, we're typically talking about numbers in like the, you know, around few hundreds or maybe, you know, one or 2,000. Uh -huh. uh, this enrolled 419,000 in eight months. So that is one of like the big, uh, you know, huge eye-opening things about this. Now, that being said, I think we have to take it with a grain of salt and, and you know, I'll explain it in a second. Um, so uh, what would happen is you would enroll in the study and then the Apple Watch would do its thing and just kind of monitor in the background as it is doing with all of us. If it detected irregular uh, pulses, then it would uh, give a notification. And actually, the algorithm set up so that you need to have five out of six tachygrams be mm. abnormal before the notification comes. Essentially, basically trying to minimize uh, abnormal uh, notification or sorry, er erroneous notifications. Mm -hmm. So when we look at that, it actually significantly drops the number. Uh, only 2,100 uh, people received that notification out of the 419,000, mm -hmm. uh, which is, you know, like, ha like half a percent. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the main reason for that is that the people that were included in the study were, you know, Apple watch owners, which, which are mainly younger people, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Most, most people that are, you know, uh, going to be more interested in that, um, uh, slash on top of that be tech savvy enough to download the <laughs> app and whatever true. you know are going to be younger people um but that being said about six percent uh, of people were above the age of 65 which is you know the more traditional afib uh, uh population mm -hmm. so uh those people ended up uh, that ended up getting the irregular pulse notification were then sent uh, uh an invitation uh to have a, a telehealth uh, interview. So uh, basically a physician by video would talk to these patients uh, or these participants and uh, they would have a very quick rundown of the history. And uh, if they felt that the pa patient was stable, um, which vast majority of atrial fibrillation uh, uh, episodes are, mm -hmm. uh, then they would go ahead and send out a, a patch monitor with an EKG, which would basically confirm um, the uh, irregular rhythm. Um, if they were felt that they were, it was more of an emergent situation, they would obviously send them to the emergency department. Quick question, Amir. Um, is the quick yes. question is, was that EKG pack, um, patch designed to get even more specific reading, readings or to work alongside with the Apple Watch? Like was the Apple Watch almost, it sounded like the Apple Watch initially might identify someone at higher risk for AFib and then they're like, okay, now that we've at least gotten you through this first gate, we're going to give you uh, what a more specific patch to wear. Right. So that's an excellent question, and uh, actually uh, brings up a point that I didn't mention. So the Apple Heart study actually only looked at series one, two, and three. Mm -hmm. So it did not include the EKG monitoring uh, that we have in okay. series four, which is an excellent, excellent point. Um, so this is actually not using, as I said, the EKG tracing, mm -hmm. but it's only using that light sensor that Jeez. is when you, when you click on the heart monitor, uh, sorry, heart rate, uh, app, it's that. Uh, so 
this is actually kind of above and beyond because the ECG monitoring po portion actually requires you to physically move your finger across and, and do that, right? Mm -hmm. So obviously no one's going to be sitting there with their finger on their watch 24-7, uh, <laughs> right? Um, so this is basically, uh, you know, kind of working in the background. Um, the ECG patch, on the other hand, is sort of the equivalent of what you have on your Series 4 or 5 when you put your finger on there and gives the tracing, except that it's kind of doing that in, in background 24-7. Uh, and, you know, we actually use these patches uh, regularly uh, for um, different purposes if we're trying to assess what heart rhythm people have. Um, and so it's, it's essentially the same thing that's used in practice. Mm -hmm. um, and typically people will wear this for, uh, you know, a few days up to a couple weeks. Um, at the most, you know, there have certain ones out there that you can wear for 30 days. Uh, and so basically, uh, the, the patch monitor was there to confirm. Um, and uh, so if someone had an irregular notification, um, they would then sort of match up when, uh, if it's in a subsequent notification happened, if it was also at the same time that someone had, uh, an irregular, uh, rhythm on the ECG monitor. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and then on top of that, there were a couple surveys that were included if they had a notification and then everybody also a 90 day survey. Um, and then, yeah, that was basically how the study was designed. Um, in terms of the results, um, I kind of hinted at a couple that, that the numbers really started to shrink. Um, I, I mentioned that 2000 had an irregular pulse notification, but there were, you know, actually more than half, um, 1200 did not respond to that and talk to the doctor. So they were excluded. But they, just ignored, they ignored it basically? Yeah, essentially, okay. essentially they dropped out of the study. Yeah. Um, and then uh, a few of those uh, that were, that continued and uh, talked to them either had urgent symptoms or had known atrial fibrillation that they kind of ignored when they first signed up for the study. Uh, so they were excluded. Mm. Um, and then the, the patches were shipped out as about 650 patches that were shipped out. Uh, but not everyone returned them or <laughs> returned them in time. So what we ended up down to uh, was 450 patches that were able to be returned and had good enough quality to be analyzed. And then, um, you know, of those that actually completed the survey and basically went from the beginning to the end of the study, it was only 254. So we kind of dropped, uh, you know, wow. significantly when we talk about that. And that's one of the flaws of, you know, or not necessarily flaws, but one of the drawbacks to having a, a study design like this. Um, uh, so, you know, basically, you know, we have a, a gigantic number when we start off with, and it's really easy to download the app but then people either might not feel like they trust the notification or they kind of, you know, get freaked out and they either go to the ER or they say, um, you know, sometimes people get busy, they just ignore yeah. it. Uh, so for all of these reasons, people kind of drop out and, you know, it was a relatively short uh, turnaround time too for the patch monitor. So that's also one of the reasons it may not have just not been turned in in time. Yeah, I mean, but anyway, I can I can understand that from people's standpoint because like I've had this rash on my inner thigh, but I haven't seen a doctor for like three months about it, so I can see oh, why man, they might. I, I see out. I see why they might ignore my they might ignore that. But in all seriousness, it's kind of amazing <laughs> that you said four hundred nine, roughly four hundred thousand plus nineteen thousand, yeah, right? almost and then whittled yeah. down to about two fifty or so. And but like yeah. to your point, 
part of it was because younger people that weren't at Correct. risk for this, you know, were the ones applying, but still it just shows how hard it is even from a large pool of people, which I got to imagine was one of the, it sounds like it had to be one of the larger pools that you could get in any type of study it, that quickly. I mean, I can't say 100%, but this is probably the largest prospective yeah. study like yeah. this that's, yeah. that's been done. Yeah, uh, it's that that in itself is like, you know, one of the most uh, amazing things about it. Um, the other thing that they found was that, you know, a, as you saw, the notification group was so small, right? 2000 out yeah. of 450. Um, so it kind of helps put our minds at ease that you're not, probably not going to have a ton of people showing up to your office now with, you know, just because maybe they were um, you know, it was, the connection was a little loose or, you know, whatever. Uh, it's, you know, relatively reliable. Um, they, you know, one of the stats numbers that they use is positive predictive value. Essentially, if you have a notification, what percentage of those people actually have atrial fibrillation, that was 0.84, um, which is, which is pretty decent. Um, you know, I think that it's important to also recognize that they didn't set out to, uh, to see the accuracy of this device necessarily. It was more, as I said, to see, you know, how many notifications are we going to get? What are we going to do? What kind of response are we going to get? You know, if we just kind of put this into the wild, we download, you say, we say to people, download this app and, you know, however many people uh, download it and are they going to actually want to participate and all that. So this was sort of like a pilot in, in that uh, sense mm -hmm. uh, to, to see, this type of study. Um, and, you know, you saw that afterwards, um, Tim Cook announced that there's, they're working with a few other people, Brigham and Women's Hospital, and, uh, you know, Harvard for a couple other studies. Uh, so it's, it's kind of exciting that this is going to sort of usher in a new era, I think, of how we conduct studies. Um, and again, like I said, um, you know, with the caveat that uh, it, it's, it's not perfect in terms of uh, I don't think that this is necessarily going to completely change uh, mm -hmm. the way we practice medicine. Um, I think that there's a lot of um, potential that this could do uh, a lot. Um, I can tell you also that from uh, from a physician standpoint, and I, I've also actually spoken to a few other physicians that I work with, um, that, that uh, if they have people show up in the office with this, you know, Hey, I have this irregular notification. People do take it seriously. And then also if they have a tracing from the Apple watch, if it's a good clear tracing, they do trust it. Um, yeah, that's, uh, that, that's what I was curious about because so yeah. first thing, um, before we, before we keep on going on down this thread was sure. the old, was the end result of the survey. I know you're talking about the, that 0.84 number or so, but was that, was that the number that said this is, how accurate this was like at the end of the, this whole survey, like where did they find was the end result like that? Oh, the Apple watch can detect this with this amount of reliability that the medical community could feel at least um, at ease with using it as kind of a first entry to vote. Oh, AFib is happening with this person. Yeah, more, more or less. Yeah. I think, you know, for, uh, you, you could think of it that way. Um, so, there are a couple important caveats to say, and I think that's it. I think potentially could even be better. Mm -hmm. uh, the main reason I say that is atrial fibrillation is, uh, as you know, your heart your heart rhythm is. It can go in and out of it, so you can be in a normal rhythm in one second and then go into atrial fibrillation the next, and be in that for maybe thirty seconds or five minutes or 
you know, some, and some people, uh, you know, uh, they could be in it lifelong, uh, mm-hmm. from that point. Um, but in generally we're talking about shorter time periods. So probably, you know, the way that the, the algorithm is set up, it had to be at least 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. So it could be that they had a short run of atrial fibrillation and then the patch was then afterwards mailed out to them. And, uh, when uh, they had the patch on, they didn't go back into atrial fibrillation. Mm. That's one possibility. The other possibility is that you could also have other causes of irregular heart rhythm. So, you you know, especially younger people can have a normal uh, heart rhythm in the sense that it's going down the normal channels, but it might have some variability in it. Uh, we see that commonly in younger people. Um, there also, you could have extra beats every now and then, and that's not atrial fibrillation, not associated with stroke or anything harmful. Um, so bottom line being that there are a lot of reasons why it might be that way. And I think if we did a little bit more, uh, focused study with the Apple watch, you potentially could even improve that number that they got and basically show that it's more accurate. Mm. Uh, I, I think that there's a lot of room for that. And I, I will be shocked if we don't see something like that come out in the future. Um, but yeah, anyway. Yeah. The, the thing that I'm also curious about it. Well, what, what really stands out to me is the fact that it was done. It sh- proved itself to be pretty, pretty darn accurate without even having the ECG measurement tool on it. So, yeah, you know, we're, we're talking about the yeah. first, you know, quite honestly, the first three, the Apple series, original Apple series watch um, up to three, they still weren't really, you know, there there yet. And so that's what's kind of fascinating mm-hmm. that it already your your community is already saying, that, oh, there's the credibility to it. The question that I had is before when early reports came out about this measurement tool and about the study, it sounded like there were be within your community. Some people were split about, uh, I don't know if I can trust this. Some people were at least willing to give it a chance, but it felt like a more majority of people were like, Hey, look, we have more accurate tools. I don't think we, this is going to be more of a burden to us. You alluded to that earlier about the paperwork and Hey, if more people come in with false positives, it's going to be more of a burden to us. Has the thinking around the Apple watch as a initial indicator to help, um, in the medical field, has that changed where they're like, you know what, we respect the Apple Watch <laughs> now. Has that has that changed at all? Um, well, so in my little bubble, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. I think that uh, I, I think that for the most part, people um, will take it seriously, and at least you know, it's they're not going to write it off. Now, mm-hmm. now I don't know that that uh even outside of my little bubble i I doubt that people would completely write it off um what i think is the most important thing though um uh i was listening to a discussion dr deepak bhatt who's uh he's out of um uh harvard out of brigham and women's uh he uh had a really interesting uh thing that he said which i'm going to paraphrase essentially Mm -hmm. he said something along the lines of like regardless of what we think people are buying this technology and they're going to be using it. And this is going to be something that we see. So, you know, um, I think it's, it's important that we uh, don't write it off. Um, That being said, also, we also can't just from only using, you know, using the tachygram, meaning not looking at actual EKG tracing, Mm -hmm. we can't just say someone has atrial fibrillation. Like I said, there's all these other variables that are at play. 
Uh, but it definitely means if if you get that irregular uh, heart rate or heart rhythm notification that uh, you definitely should get it checked out. Um, that actually also does bring up another point, which I think that's really important is, uh, you know, this study is really only looking at the quality or, you know, the, the, the measure of the notifications. Um, in medicine, we practice now something called evidence-based medicine, essentially being, being, you know, as this was a study, all of the other treatments that we prescribe and, you know, the, the tests that we do are based on other studies like this. Uh, and so we really, you know, try to use high quality data from which we can uh, make, uh, make any con conclusion from. And that is what's going to change medical practice. And that really does require a lot of time and careful study. Mm -hmm. um, and and uh, uh, that's something that can't be done, you know, on, on this scale in this manner. Um, so uh, in order to be able to change practice, we need to also look at hard clinical endpoints. So essentially, how many people had a stroke, how many people died, how many people, you know, things like that, rather than uh, just, oh, did someone get a notification? So yeah, uh, this is this is good uh, for what it was. Uh, but in terms of, you know, practice changing or something like that, I think that's something that we would need. Okay, here's another question for our listeners. And yes. I think it threw off a lot of people initially. And this might sound dumb, and I hope I'm not stumping you. I, I <laughs> I'm not. But okay, is ECG and EKG literally the same thing? Just one is like yes. spelled differently because that that people are like, why is someone saying EKG? Why is someone saying yeah. ECG? And it's like, <laughs> why why do you guys do that to us? Because everyone always feels like medical jargon is a foreign language, and so are they literally the same thing? Yes, they they <laughs> absolutely are. Um, it that's really really funny, and I you know I actually myself even use them interchangeably, and I sometimes forget. Um, so yeah, it, basically, um, the the history of it um, goes back to uh, traditionally the the you know the the typical history that's told is that the one of the first people to really come up with uh, ECG or EKG uh, was. Uh, this guy named uh, Willem Eindhoven, okay, and he was a Dutch guy, and so in in you know in Dutch or probably in German, I would think uh, you know the the electrocardiogram cardio is with a K. I, I think that's probably if I had to guess. I <laughs> yeah. mean, you know, I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's where it comes from. Um, at ECG, we use cardio here with a C, you know, cardiac uh, meaning heart. Uh, electro, obviously, the electrical signal and gram, uh, just like the, you know, the, the, the graph of it or whatever. So, um, yeah, that's a really funny thing. So ECG and EKG are, in, in fact, the same thing. You're that, right. That might be the biggest takeaway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, I think I probably threw out a lot of stuff. Here no, this is great. People, but. <laughs> that, is, that is great. No, no. I Honestly, I was like, I just need to get this clear from someone yeah, 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 in the no, industry sure. that I could just ask directly and put on the spot. So thank you for that. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we talk about the Apple Watch and mm -hmm. as and I thought it was really interesting how you said, yeah, the reality is that. People are going to be using technology and these kind of devices more and more. We also know that the Apple Watch itself is going to evolve. We saw how Series 1, 2, 3 was used for this initial study. And then we're talking about SPO2 or what do you call it? Photoplethysis. What is that word again? <laughs> PPG. Photopleth yeah, PPG. Yeah, we'll keep it easy. But oh, photoplethysmography. Yeah, PPG, PPG. So that's, yeah, um, that's that the next, kind of the that next thing that's coming, right? 
Right. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. Yeah. So, um, you know, PPG has been used um, for for a while actually to to look at uh, the oxygen saturation or the percent of oxygen that's getting through to the tissues. So we, uh, you know, you, you can actually even on your own, if you wanted to go to Amazon or whatever and buy um, a little finger uh, SpO2 monitor mm-hmm. um, and for relatively cheap. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that that's pretty cool and, and it could be, uh, could be potentially exciting. I, to me, there's really two main uh, areas where I think from a health standpoint, it could potentially make an impact. Uh, the first would be uh, for for if people wear it during sleep, we might be able to maybe catch uh, some sleep apnea cases. Mm, so, so sleep apnea is is estimated to be around 43 million Americans that have it. And of those, they think around 85% of people don't know they have it. So it's it's like a, a huge number of people, and it actually carries a lot of other disease burden with it. So around double the risk of stroke, five times the risk of a, a cardiovascular event like a heart attack or a stroke, uh, sorry, like a heart attack, um, you know, or, or needing a stent or something like that. And actually also increases the risk of a car accident, which really mainly is really? because, you know, people are not, uh, people have sleep apnea, if it's more severe, you're, you're not getting proper restful sleep. So you might not realize that you're waking yourself up from the lack of air getting in. Uh, it might not get you to a point where you're actually conscious, but it disturbs your sleep. So you might go from a very deep sleep to a less deep sleep. And so you're not getting good quality sleep. So you're chronically tired. And that's why you would you know, increase the risk of a car accident. Um, and we see it as associated with a number of different medic, uh, medical illnesses like obesity. I was going to say, uh, is, is, yeah, is being overweight one of yeah? So that's the actually probably things? the biggest risk factor for it. Um, actually, certain minorities, uh, South Asians, unfortunately, like myself in particular, um, can can just have basically uh, from the the structure of the neck and the airways there really? are a little bit more yeah a little more prone to have it. Um, but it's also associated, you, you, you see that, you know, other illnesses that you can also have go hand in hand, depression can go with it. And I think that probably also has to do with some chronic fatigue. Mm -hmm. Uh, and as I mentioned, stroke, high blood pressure is huge and atrial fibrillation. We bring it full circle. Wow. Yeah. And so I think, you know, the, the way we usually will, will test for it is um, with uh, a couple sensors that people can attach. Now, actually, in this country, more more often we're using home sleep apnea tests. Traditionally, people would go into a sleep lab and they would have like, you know, EEG uh, uh, monitoring the, the brain electrodes hooked up. They would have, you know, some oxygen and things like that. Uh, but now more often things are being done at home where they'll just have, you know, a little PPG monitor on their finger. Um, there's like a band they'll maybe have around their belly uh, and a couple like a couple like minimally, you know, intrusive things. And they'll go to sleep and it, it'll check to see if is there a change in your oxygen? Is there, you know, something like that? So I think that that is one potential place. I, I I would imagine you probably need to add some peripherals to it, you know, some, uh, some extra things, just like, um, you know, we, we, we have actually the same thing with even going back to rhythm monitoring, um, before Apple watch was doing the EKG monitoring, there's other companies out there. There's, um, uh, a live core is one company 
there's this device called Cardia. And uh, actually, some of the uh, electrical specialists I work with, meaning electrical heart specialists uh, that I work with, uh, after they try to restore someone's rhythm with a procedure, uh, there's this question that comes, uh, well, how, how much are they in atrial fibrillation, if at all? Um, and so, you know, Apple Watch is relatively expensive uh, and not everyone can afford it. And the, the Cardia device is only $100. So sometimes they'll use that. And actually, Cardia, I actually just in preparing for this uh, talk, uh, I found Cardia actually has an Apple Watch band, too. That's like, a you know, just the same way you oh, wow. we have our sports band. Well, yeah, which I thought was really cool. So uh, anyway, getting back to the, the oxygen. Sorry, I'm bouncing around a little you're bit. You're fine. You're fine. Don't uh, worry about it. Getting back to the oxygen thing, the other group that I see that could be potentially benefiting from this um, is uh, people with chronic lung disease. Uh, you know, a lot of times people might be oxygen dependent and uh, they might feel really short of breath when they walk or sometimes even at rest. And it could be because they're not getting enough oxygen. So you could use this to sort of titrate the dose of oxygen and, and that kind of thing. Um the only drawbacks is, you know, it's probably not as accurate with exercise. Even with the Apple Heart study, they're mainly looking only at rest. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something I would imagine most athletes would want to look at, too, is when they're uh, more active, when they're exercising, is their oxygen okay? Um, so I'll be interested to see how that kind of plays out. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's that's definitely a super exciting area mm-hmm. the the other thing that i'm curious about i know it's not necessarily in your field and if you can't speak on it too much that's okay but we hear a lot about you know potential blood glucose measuring through the sweat and it sounds like that's way more difficult than just oh yeah have it just you know check out your sweat and see if you can measure that people have been talking about like that's the holy grail i know there's devices that can monitor that already that are not apple mm-hmm. watch related but is that something that you feel like is a lot further down the line to get an accurate type of blood glucose measuring tool built into the actual Apple Watch? Like that, that is not, I don't want to call it a pipe dream, but that's something that's n- probably won't happen anytime soon because it's, it's a lot more difficult than just reflecting a light against your arteries and capillaries and measuring that. Right. Excellent. Excellent question. So yeah, um, diabetes well, thank you. management. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, you're just you're like hitting them out of oh, the yeah, park totally. today. Just thanks, man. One you're after one after another. You're definitely coming back, Amir. <laughs> oh, good, good, good. All right. So, um, yeah. So diabetes is something uh, that is also again got a huge, huge burden. Thirty million Americans that that are diabetics, out of which ninety five percent are type two. Uh, the you know it, I think having first of all just as a quick aside, having the glucose, uh, um, number is, is going to be really helpful for most people, Mm -hmm. especially, you know, diabetics, but really the, the key group where it's really going to be the most important are the people that use insulin. Cause those people are constantly checking their sugars, uh, many of them multiple times per day. Um, and that's around seven and a half million Americans. Uh, so that's again, you know, huge, Mm -hmm. uh, huge population. Um, and obviously worldwide, it's like, you know, huge. Um, so the, the way that we have been checking sugars up till this point is always through some kind of body fluid, traditionally blood. So usually these people are taking a little needle and pricking their fingers 
and then using a drop of blood to uh, put on a sensor and it'll give you a number. Um, there are other ways. So um, there's this company called Dexcom that actually makes a sensor that uh, sits in the tissue of the abdomen. It's just like kind of has a couple needles that uh, prick into the, the skin and it uses uh, some of that um, the, the fluid that's kind of in that tissue there. Um, and it gives you a number from that. Um, Wait, is this like a patch with two needles that you always wear? Yeah, essentially, yeah, it's, it's something like that. And actually, uh, so Dexcom has that device that works with the Apple Watch. It actually oh. just, uh, directly sends it to that. But that requires still, you know, it's minimally invasive, but it's still invasive. It's mm-hmm. a couple needles that are sticking there. Um, and then um, you know, there's another one, another company that also sends using blood, uh, one drop it's called, that sends to the Apple Watch. So w- what's really interesting is... Um, Apple has definitely said they they're interested in diabetes management, as you mentioned that that glucose is something they're trying to chase. And uh, I guess the CEO of Dexcom, that first device that I mentioned, um, told CNBC last summer that there is a partnership with Apple coming. So mm. I think it's a matter more of when rather than if. Mm-hmm. the The big hurdle, though, is up until this point, like the holy grail of diabetes management has been, how can we get a non-invasive management mm-hmm. uh, a measure of the blood glucose, right? So that's really not been done before. Um, and Apple actually, at uh, just a little over a year ago, late 2018, filed a couple patents that really they describe a couple sensors work together that work together. So one is that light uh, photo detector that we've been talking about pretty much this whole time. The other one which like I read this has blew my mind. It's really mm-hmm. crazy. It's basically an array of ionic liquid sensors that detect sweat particles in the air. And so they can basically try to measure the sugar levels from that between using those two things together. And they're saying that it might be able to look at other, uh, other things like in air pollution, carbon monoxide levels in the, in the atmosphere and things like that. So if they can actually get this to work and, and have it be reliable, that could be, I mean, I, it's just completely industry changing, mm-hmm. but again, you know, to, to, to be realistic, this is something that has to be tested properly first and all that. And it's going to take a while before we get something that would be at least accurate enough that it could replace the more traditional monitoring. So, but from a what lot I, of promise. So the idea of that sensor is that it doesn't, it's non-invasive, but what, if you sweat as it's evaporating near the location of the sensor, it's able to collect that airborne sweat or as it's in transit or changing and kind of measure that. Is that what you're saying? Like when you say airborne, yeah, that's the way that I understood it when I read it. Yeah, that's crazy. That okay? I that know. is that's some that's some like next level that's stuff like right sci-fi. there. Yeah, yeah that is that is so next yeah. level stuff. So I for know. you, you know, as we kind of talk about all these things, and thank you so much for all this great information and input. Oh yeah, for um, sure. this is this is honestly really excellent. H- have you been surprised by how the Apple Watch has evolved as a health device, or is it not that surprising? You know, this is your field; you're always around it. But as you know, obviously you pay attention to the t- pay attention to the patents and the reports and what is happening in your field. Are you surprised and and amazed or shocked by some of the stuff, or is it kind of like, oh, that sh- that should happen? Uh, well, I think um, basically everything 
Well, actually, no, I can't. I can't say. I was going to say everything that we've seen up till this point uh, hasn't been super surprising, but mm-hmm. I, I have to give the big exception to the ECG monitoring. Mm-hmm. When that when that came out, when they announced that for the Series 4, it, like, blew my mind. Um, I, you know, again, um, it requires somebody to physically put their finger there. So if, you, if they were able to get a... Uh, a way to have it constantly sensor. Um, No, now I have to actually look in a little bit more detail about that cardio band, but Mm -hmm. uh, I was thinking actually, I completely on my own had thought before I even saw that if they had like an accessory band or like a ring or something like that, that goes on the other finger, basically what we're trying to see with the ECG is the electrical activity across the heart. And the way we're doing that is uh, looking from your right, arm to your left arm when you're mm-hmm. moving your finger across to touch the the watch and that's why you need to put your finger across so if you had a, a sensor on the you know like a like a band or a ring or something mm-hmm. like that on the other hand uh that would be sort of like a constant monitoring um and that i think um if they were able to get it without too much noise and get it to be relatively accurate then they have an opportunity to break into um this huge market of, of rhythm monitoring. Um, you know, we, like I mentioned before, uh, we use this all the time, uh, for, for rhythm monitoring for atrial fibrillation or for other, you know, people come in with, uh, uh, feeling of palpitations or uh, feeling like their heart's fluttering. And there's a lot of different reasons they could have that. So we'll put them on a patch for, you know, uh, either a monitor for uh, like a more extensive monitor for a day or two or a patch for like a couple weeks, or there's more invasive, like a little uh, device that sits underneath the skin. Um, it's s- relatively, you know, again, minimally invasive, um, but it's still, you know, small, uh, small incision that has made. Mm-hmm. So if they were able to do something like this, that's huge. Um, besides saving the you know, unnecessary scar at that point, um, it's also from a business standpoint, a huge market is around their estimates around three to four hundred million dollar market in in the next three to five years. So um, you know, if they were to sell the extra monitor for like maybe like a hundred dollars or something like that, I think they could probably do really well. And and you know, but again, the caveat that it has to be tested and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. be accurate. You know what? I, you know what I think is understated, and I think it's because we we don't understand um, how. I guess honestly, lucky we are. I could hear in your voice when you corrected yourself, like, oh my gosh, there's, there's an ECG on the Apple watch. That's that's, And it was one of the first consumer devices to have it. Some people are like, ah, I bought the series four. Yeah, I know it got an ECG, whatever. <laughs> can you, can you kind of explain maybe a little bit like that? Was that just a, a type of tool that just was not available for people just to wear around their wrist for forever? Because it sounds, I kind of heard in your voice, it sounded like it was like, no, this is a big deal. Yeah. Um, you, so I'm not a hundred percent sure that there probably was some kind of device out there, but, uh, I know that for example, uh, before the Apple watch even came out, um, my wife's cousin, who's, uh, himself a cardiologist had a iPhone case mm-hmm. where he put his hands on the back and he could measure, oh, wow. uh, his EKG that way. So had things like that out. Um, but I think that this is number one, a little bit more practical, um, to your point, uh, you know, a lot of people kind of not, um, being as excited about it. 
you know what? The vast majority of Apple Watch users are not going to have any real reason for to use this. Like, <laughs> again, going back to the Apple Watch, the Apple Heart study, the vast majority of people didn't get a notification. Mm-hmm. You know, they're young, healthy people. So, um, you know, but if we uh, can prove that it's you know a little bit more accurate and all those things. I see it more from a from a standpoint as uh, being used as a medical device specifically that mm-hmm. also gives you notifications mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. tracks your fitness and all of those things, right? Mm-hmm. So um, that's I think the most exciting thing about it. That's awesome. All right, Amir, um, thank you again for kicking it with us. Before we go, though, I I want to know for you, being an Apple fan, being a part of Apple Bits Nation, um, what is your current favorite? apple device right now and it always can change yeah well it 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 always does change for sure but (laughs) right now um i'm very blessed that my mother-in-law was uh very sweet and got um uh, airpods pro for me um she managed your mother-in-law hooked you up like i know Damn, yeah. Oh yeah. Good, no, my my in-laws son. are so great. Um, <laughs> yeah, she, she, seriously, she, she went out, um, it was like, you know, holiday time and she managed to snag it. Uh, Dude. she went to a couple places. Yeah. I'm very, very blessed. Man. Um, and these are, are amazing. I mean, uh, you honestly are obvious as, as you would imagine, you know, your review, uh, is, is the one that really got me excited about it. Um, and uh that's what pushed me over the edge i i tried out the original ones and they just didn't fit in my ear uh but man these things are so great i mean both from uh, a sound quality thing but the biggest thing is just the convenience it's just so great to be able to switch um so yeah i got my wife a little bit jealous so (laughs) (laughs) you know i mean what i what i always find interesting is when i review the products you know the thing is that at the end of the day when people always say like oh this is expensive this is cost this much Ultimately, everyone spends their money in ways that they think something is a value to them. So I always, Absolutely, I always yeah. kind of, I'll talk about the price, and if the price is obscene and not worth it, then I'll make it a point to be like, okay, for example, the HomePod is way overpriced for what it is. But mm-hmm. you know, when you're talking about wireless earbuds and what it can do, there was no reason for me to complain about the AirPods Pro. It's just more of if this is worth it for someone because I thought, quite honestly, it they're a damn good product. And I, they surprised me too. Like when a product from Apple surprises me, that's a good thing. And, uh, I I think they're, I think they're, I think they really are excellent. No, for sure. I mean, they've been definitely doing a great job recently. My wife has a 11 pro too. The camera's phenomenal. Uh, so, I mean, they've, they've been doing a great job and, and, you know, I think this year is going to be really, really great. So I'm really, yeah, really looking forward to it. So. Great, for, great for you, but not great for your wallet. So just make sure you keep on being nice to your mom-in-law. <laughs> just be like, Mom, That's mom right. hey, Ma, they, they just released a new iPad Pro. Just just letting you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't want to get greedy here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Amir. Well, you know what? I just want to again say thank you so much for uh, being on the show, sharing your knowledge, and sharing your expertise. We really appreciate it, buddy. For sure. Oh, I'm so, so happy to be here. Uh, I would be more than happy to be back if they're able to add the blood pressure monitoring, which I could talk about again for you know another hour. One last thing I need to try really quickly since yes. you, you put it out there. 
photoplethysmography, 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 photoplethysmography. That's five times. Damn it! Damn it! <laughs> PPG, I, you can just go PPG. PPG I'm not even PPG. ready. I'm not even prepared to to match that. Uh, I do not even have that level to just go there right now. <laughs> that was awesome, bro. All right, that's that's great. Ended on a high note. Thanks so much, Amir. We talk to you soon, okay, buddy? Thank you. Thank All you right. so much. Take cool. care. Bye. All right, there you go. Doc Knock in the house, dropping the knowledge for us again. So much information, and I hope that you hung with that because I learned a lot, and I thought it was really cool. It was funny. There was a period where he might have talked for maybe seven minutes straight, but it was worth it. I learned a whole bunch of stuff. So again, this is another reason why I'm still excited about the Apple Watch. Whether it's health-related for other people, it may not even affect me right now, but this is just an amazing device that we're wearing on our wrist, and it really is starting to create this whole new shift of competing like this to me i i would arguably i don't wear glasses i would end up doing more in the future on my wrist than i would if i was talking about a pair of ar glasses that's just because i don't wear them but i could see that being more acceptable or more easy for people to jump from phone to wrist and just use the apple watch as their main device in the future versus ar glasses being that being the thing that takes over the iphone i i think it's got to be the Apple Watch first, at least between the two of those, which one is a more accessible and popular device for that. So again, thank you all for listening. And we got to give a shout out to our Platinum Apple Patreon supporters at the $100 level, Brandon Ledford, Gil Cabrera, Wesley Freider, Jarrett Luce, and Calvin Fatikar. Thank you so much for your incredible support. Again, for those of you that know, if you can't support this show monetarily, Put that five-star review in iTunes or your favorite app. Trust me, I know there are literally uh, tens of thousands of people that need to put a star down so that we can fully represent, but it's already pretty crazy, the reviews that we have. By putting in a written review or a few comments, it also bumps up in the algorithm, helps it get more exposed, and also tell your friends, tell your mom. I'm sure they could take something away from this and also be a part of the show, voice memo, just record it and then send it away to applebitsshow at gmail.com. That's applebitsshow with a Z. So thanks so much for listening and supporting. I appreciate it all. We will be back next week with more of that good and bad inside the world of Apple. It's the Apple Bits XL, baby. We'll talk to you soon. Peace. Peace.